friends. Welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. I am in a great mood because today is my birthday. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable and uneasy about being 31 already. It feels like I just turned 21, but nonetheless, excited that today is my birthday and excited to bring you guys yet another great interview on this show. If you are a writer or an aspiring author, then you are in the right place. Barnabas Piper is my guest this week, and we talked about writing, specifically book writing, the publishing industry, some red flags to avoid if you are entering into that space, and honestly talked about contentment in comparison to some other topics that we've talked a lot about on this show as well. So I think you guys will enjoy this. Here's my friend, Barnabas Piper. Well, Barnabas Piper is my guest. Barnabas, you are my first repeat guest on my show. How does that make you feel? Well, I mean, being the being the first, it's such a high honor. I don't know. I don't know how I should feel. It feels feels momentous. We are uh, just about a year into the show, so I guess it's kind of a big deal. You're my first repeat uh, guest so far, but basically, it, yeah, it, it means one of two things. It either means I did really well the first time, or you have a very short list of people you have access to. <laughs> I'm not sure which. I think maybe a mixture of both. My my my, uh, my reach has expanded a little bit. I think since I've started this show, I've had a lot of people on here that I didn't know before I started. So that's been good. But uh, yeah, we talked basically right at the start of the quarantine. Actually, it wasn't even we weren't even quarantined yet. It was just kind of like we were learning yeah. about COVID. <laughs> it was like yeah, the COVID news was breaking, and none of us quite knew what that meant. I'm not even sure. Maybe the NBA shut down at that point, and baseball had not shut down. I don't think, but. Uh, yeah, it was right at the very beginning of it in March whenever we talked and did not think that here in October we would still be dealing with it. But nonetheless, here we are. How are you holding up? How's this year been uh, since the start of that until where we're at now? Doing well for me. I, you know, obviously I, I feel like I, I've had a very different kind of year than a lot of people because I got engaged in January. Um, COVID obviously hit in March. I got married mid-COVID in July. I've had a couple things published this year, which a couple things republished and then a couple new things published. So it's just kind of been a full year of, well, this is exciting, which I feel guilty saying because it's been a really terrible year for a lot of people. Um, on the COVID front, it really has been, you know, it's it's been a, there was, you know, there was a dip at the beginning where it was just, everybody was constantly like, how do we deal with this? And now it feels sort of like a new version of normal, yeah. or at least most people have arrived at a place of, we know how to cope with this. You kind of have your, your safe circle. You know, this, these are the things we're comfortable doing. These are the things we're not comfortable doing. That's a tighter circle for some and a bigger circle for others. And, and at least in the, the groups of people I'm connected to, there tends to be a fair amount of graciousness. So if somebody's not comfortable doing something, others aren't, you know, causing them shame and guilt for that. And yeah. so it, it works out and, you know, still have friends, still have family and chugging away. Yeah, you and I, we met earlier this year at a Starbucks near Nashville, and we were talking about your upcoming marriage or your upcoming wedding, and that was well before we knew anything about COVID, and you were talking about right. planning for it and everything. We went to a couple <laughs> weddings this summer. Uh, one was outdoors, and people were in masks. Actually, both of them were outdoors, and people were wearing masks and all that, but did you have to change anything about your oh, wedding yeah. at all? Yeah, so in during May and June, Nashville, where I live, started to kind of reopen, so they went total shutdown. Yeah. Then they started to reopen in phases. And so I think it was in June, maybe. No, it must have been in May. They they opened up to a phase that would have allowed for a gathering of people 
of the size that we wanted for our wedding. So over a hundred people, something like that. Yeah. And then the day after our RSVPs were due, so we found out, okay, there's going to be 120, whatever people who are going to come the day after that Nashville rolled back phases. <laughs> and so we had to uninvite people. And rather than trying to pick favorite friends, we just delayed the celebration uh, reception part to next year. Okay praying that next year will look very different than this year. Um, and, and then just had a very small family ceremony and it was beautiful and great. There was, there was a hard adjustment from preparing to celebrate with all of our, you know, all the friends who could make it and to just family. But yeah. once, once we made this sort of mental, emotional transition, we were able to enjoy it. And, and, you know, a wedding is a wedding. It's not just a party. So it was, it was great in in and of itself. Yeah. And then Lord willing, we have, the big party next year. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope to God. We're not still talking about this next year. Hopefully yeah. next time, if, if we talk again next year, it'll be, you'll be able to talk about your, your actual reception. That'll be right. Exactly. That'll be good. So one of the reasons I, I wanted to get you back on here is uh, just to kind of talk about the writing process. As you mentioned, you've had several things published this year, including a new book that just came out at the beginning of October, hoping for happiness. And on top of, on top of you being a writer, you've also worked in the publishing field. And there are a lot of people that listen to the show that are writers that are curious about the writing process, curious about the publishing process. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's not just as easy as sitting down, writing a book, and then sending it off and getting it published. There's a lot of other layers to it that if you if you don't do your research, it can be kind of jarring or surprising as a, as a writer to know that there's a lot that goes into it. So you know, you've got a lot of experience in this field. Um, this is, I think, your fourth book, fourth uh, original yeah, book so, that's been published. Yeah. I've done, yeah, four books and then one, uh, one group Bible study that came out this year okay. attached to my book, Help My Unbelief. So that's, it's kind of a book, but it's, it's like six sessions designed to go through with a group. So yeah, right. basically five publications. So you've got, I mean, a wealth of, of knowledge of how to, you know, and, and your, your father obviously has published a ton of books as well. So you've been around this, uh, this industry for you know, most of your life. So, you know, whenever you, I guess, think back to your first book that you, that you wrote. Um, and maybe your process has changed. I assume it's changed throughout, you know, throughout the, you know, the different books and that kind of thing. But what did you, what did you learn, uh, I guess, from the start, whenever you were writing your first book uh, and, and what have you learned since then that I guess has been some of the more valuable uh, tricks, of, tricks of the trade, I guess, about the publishing yeah. industry and the writing industry? Yeah, the the writing itself hasn't changed dramatically. I mean, I think I think I've improved as a writer. I think as you write more, you get better at gauging yourself. So you get into the, like there's fewer panic days where you're like, I don't have anything to say. It's a terrible day. It's the end of the world. You just kind of go, Yeah, today's a bad day because you you end up transitioning to the recognition that writing is work. Yeah, and I don't mean that as a, as in drudgery, but like it is it takes consistency, it takes discipline, it takes effort. So a bad writing day is just like a bad day at the office. Yeah. Some days are like that. So you pack it up and you go home and you get your sleep and you come back in the next day and next day might be better. Yeah. And so the, the, the writing itself has improved just by that, by practice, by maturity of voice. I think finding a voice as a writer is a hard thing. And saying, what is your voice as a writer is a really nebulous concept, but it's, I think it's essentially where you are comfortable in your own skin as a writer. You're not trying to sound like somebody else. You're not, it, nothing feels forced. It yeah. just, the, the words are yours. It communicating, whether it's a, a story or a, an idea or whatever on the publishing side. 
So my, my most recent book that just, it just came out early in October is called Hoping for Happiness. And it was the first book that I've had to pitch around to multiple publishers. So it was a new experience for me, but having been on the publishing side and then knowing other authors, it's a really, you know, it's a really common thing, but it was the first one that I had had multiple publishers say, we don't, we don't think this is right for us, or it's not the right thing. They all use euphemistic language. I don't know if it means they didn't think the book was right, or my last book didn't sell well enough. All of these are factors in it. So uh, that was one. It was it was the first time I went through that process. Prior to that, my first two books were on a single contract. So um, I was able to work that out with David C. Cook at the time. My second or my third book, I should say my second contract was with a publisher I worked for at the time. So they, I had, I had a bit of an insider connection there. Yeah. And again, sometimes, I mean, connections are the best way to do anything. If you have connections, just ring them all the way out Yeah. <laughs> and then earn the right to have them. That's the, that's the key part. You don't, you don't ask for favoritism. You ask for a seat in the room and then you earn the right to be in the room. So by writing the best possible thing you can, um, and so this one was the first one that I was kind of a writing free agent and I didn't love that process. Um, I understood it. And so I wasn't anxious about it, but it, I wasn't crazy about hearing from publishers, their feedback on it when I was a hundred percent sure they were wrong, Yeah, you know, which every author is you get rejected and you're like, well, you're an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, which I, I've been on the rejecting side of things and I'm, I'm, I'm sure authors have those feelings towards me. Um, or had them at some point. So that, yeah, I think that, that process, the, that process was a new one. I think the other thing that I've observed over the course of, so my first book came out in 20, 2014, 2014. So it's been six or seven years, um, has been the increase in the demand on an author to market their own books. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, and earlier, a publisher was the primary marketing avenue, and the publisher, the author, brought maybe something to the table. But with the rise of social media and the decline of of retail, um, in terms of like storefront retail, authors now carry the weight for that, and that's it's just something authors have to get used to. It's also now part of the decision making process in publishing. Yeah. Can you market your own book? What is your reach? What is your audience? That dirty word platform, which I hate so much. It's like every it author just, says they hate that word. It, every every author's like, oh, I just cringe when I hear the word platform. Well, because what, what you would like is, you know, in, in a perfect world, the best books get published and the best books sell. We, we know full well, this is not a perfect world. And so yeah. the best books don't get published all the time. Sometimes they rise to the top. They I mean pu publishers will rarely turn down a transcendent book. Most of us don't write those though. Most of us write decent books. Um, and so, yeah, like my stuff gets published over somebody else who's probably an equivalent writer because of my last name, because of my previous publishing experience, because of my social media following, my podcast, my whatever, all of which says nothing about the quality of the book. Yeah. It just says, how many people can I get it in front of? which publishers have to take into account. So that's, that's the, that's the frustrating side um, of, of the authoring experience. You know, there's the, there's the rejection aspect, just trying to get in the door. Then there's the, once you're in the door, you have to sell this thing yourself to, to a pretty significant extent. Yeah. And you hit on something there too, because it's a, it, it's a, it can be a tough thing for, 
an author who, you know, they've got, and, and this is kind of speaking from my own perspective here, you know, I, I had somewhat of a, a little bit of a platform whenever I was coming up in journalism, you know, I was a sports writer and I had quite a bit of a following from that. I left that world to become a teacher. So, you know, I kind of left the, the, the content world for a few years before I started writing uh, on the Christian side of things. But I feel like I'm still kind of building a platform of my own in the Christian side of things. Um, and I think there's a lot of writers who are in that in that point where their writing is really good. It's maybe on par with anybody that you would read, but they don't have the platform. And a lot of people, you know, and I'm kind of in this boat, don't really know the best route to take to start building a platform or they don't know yeah. how to how to put the time in. So what if, you know, if you've maybe whenever you've talked to young writers or up, up and coming aspiring writers, what are some of the, the pieces of advice you give to writers about building their own platform? Yeah, I try to avoid the concept of building platform because that sucks you into, I'm not going to use any names uh, because I'll be disparaging, but there's there's kind of a cottage industry around platform building, yeah. which, I, which makes me feel very slimy and I yeah. don't like it. And people are profiting off of trying to get others to build platforms. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not wild about that. So I, but, but building an audience is a different thing. Like just, uh, in its in its entity, it's a different thing. An audience is somebody who cares about your work, wants to read what you have to say, finds value in it. Usually, there's there's a buy-in there. There's an emotional, intellectual buy-in. Yeah. So building an audience is a different thing than a platform. A platform is a number. It dehumanizes your readers, and as an author, that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Because if you have if you have a dehumanized audience it's going to affect your writing because you don't care. You don't care what you're writing. You care how many people you're writing it for. Yeah. So that, that cuts the heart out of what you're writing, especially as a Christian author. But I think the same is true. Anybody who wants to tell a good story or be intellectually honest has to care about the reader. Um, so when you think about audience, they're, they're, the first and foremost thing is, is keep publishing just keep publishing. So if that's a personal website, if that's starting a website with other authors, which can be a great thing to do because um, it's very discouraging to try to put up content yourself every day and you just see these like minuscule numbers. Yeah. But if there's sort of a cohort of writers and you can contribute, uh, you know, twice a month or whatever your capacity is, could be weekly, could be multiple times a week. Um, and there more and more web publications are coming together to help, especially creative writers and storytellers and different, different things like that. So you just start to seek those out yeah. and then, and then you just submit stuff everywhere as you know, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. I, I forget that now because I'm at a place now where, um, I kind of write what I want when I want to, cause I don't feel like I need to build the same way I did seven, eight, 10 years ago. Yeah. But when you're building, you just never say no to an opportunity. If so, like I remember writing, I remember writing articles for like uh, Motherhood magazine. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm not a mom, and I don't. But they want a book about or an article about being a pastor's kid or praying with your family or whatever. I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, yeah. And so you just you just say yes to stuff so that you build. Two things happen. One is uh, you you build a readership. And this, and then you build essentially a portfolio. So it's the same thing, a photographer or a, any visual artist, they have to have a portfolio of their work, a web designer, yeah. a writer needs a portfolio of their work. 
And you know, if somebody Googles you and they can find 10 articles by you, that's, that's significant. If they find zero yeah. articles by you, you're not a writer. Yeah. You're a, you're an aspiring writer. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's the biggest piece. And then finding a way to share your work in a way that's genuine, not self-promoting. Yeah. So if you write something and you believe in it, you should feel no qualms about just share, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, whatever platforms are, is, are your favorites. Just put it out there yeah. and say, you know, and don't just do the, don't do the, I wrote a thing, you know, that tweet, <laughs> I wrote, nobody cares. Nobody cares that you wrote a thing. If you say, I, hate I that wrote phrase. a it, I did it a thing. It. Yeah. Just, we all did. <laughs> you, you just tweeted a thing too, and I'm bored. So tell me what you wrote. Yeah. Tell me, give me a hook. And I don't mean like a clever marketing pitch, but just, have you ever had questions about this? Me too. I wrote about it. Okay. Yeah. Now we have a conversation. Like there's, this is, this is an, in, an intellectual engagement, right. possibly emotional. Like there's a connection there. So be honest in it. And I think the, I think the last piece I would say on this is always write stuff that you care about. Yeah. So don't write stuff that you just are, that you're that you're completely disinterested in because it it shows over time and it's really hard to share your work with consistency if you don't like your work with consistency or at least you don't believe in your work consistently so writing stuff that that you have a have an investment in um and i struggled with that early on as a writer because i that it's hard to balance that with don't say no to opportunities because sometimes the opportunity is something that you're like i can I don't really care. Yeah. But you know, so you have to balance that. But when it's up to you, write the stuff that matters to you. And sometimes that means you find a niche. You know, a lot, a lot of people will say the best thing for an aspiring writer is to find a niche. You know, you should write consistently about, you know, I know one guy who just he wrote about millennials and faith. And that was kind of how he he got his start as a writer. Uh, I was never a niche guy because I like lots of things. Right. Niches, niches make me feel claustrophobic. Um, but for some people, that's exactly right. Like they're just going to do, they're going to be book reviewers. They're going to be um, poets. They're going to be, they have, they have a genre, they have a, a niche. And that's not a bad way because niches, it's easier to build an audience in a niche. Yeah. Because people look for a specific thing. Yeah, I've heard uh, people say that a lot. Where you know, write from what you know. Don't try to don't try to feign experience in some other thing that you haven't you haven't gone through or haven't experienced because then you can't really write about it because you don't. I mean, you haven't experienced that. So I think that's a that's a good point. And one thing you hit on earlier uh, was this was kind of the first book that you had where you felt like a free agent author, which I thought was interesting because you said that you had to sh- you know shop it around to different publishers and that sort of thing. So what advice can you give to people who maybe they've submitted stuff to a magazine or a publication, they've gotten a lot of rejections and they're struggling with how to deal with the rejection. Uh, How did you handle that? And what advice would you give to somebody who, how to handle that? Well, I need to, I mean, I have to play fair here, which is as a published author, rejection lands very differently than it does as a not yet published author. Yeah. Um, Because a not yet published author feels like I might never get my chance. Yeah. A published author goes, if I knock on the the next door, one of these doors, I know these people, you know, you kind of, there's a, there's just a level of confidence. And this was my fourth book. If it was my second book, I might still feel that way because I didn't have a, a depth of, of kind of work under my belt. 
But when it was my, you know, it's my fourth book, I'd published a couple different things. I'd worked at three different publishers. Like I, there's just a level of like, it's going to work out for me. Yeah. It also helps that I'm not trying to use these books to pay my bills. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to write for a living. That's so I don't have that pressure either. Yeah. Um, I, what I would say to the, to the writer who's the not yet published, who is experiencing a lot of, lots of rejection. Um, it's keep in mind the majority of the rejections are, are not because of the writing. Um, some of them are, yeah. but I mean, you need to have an honest friend who will say, uh, you're not very good if you're not very good. <laughs> That's true with but anything. Like, yes. Yeah. We, 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 we don't need, you remember, remember, uh, in American Idol, I haven't watched it in years, but that you know the early the early episodes where the people come in and they think they're amazing and they get yeah. rejected, and then they're Simon like, well, Cowell's just, "Yeah, Simon yeah. Cowell's just pretty harsh too." Yeah, my mom likes me, and uh, you're like, "Well, you need to get feedback from somebody who's not your mom," because you know my mom would tell me my writing was bad, but most moms wouldn't. Yeah, um, and so I think assuming that you're that you're that you're a good writer you're not probably getting rejected because of that. You're getting rejected because you're one of 800 proposals. It's like a job applicant. You might be perfectly qualified for the job, but you just, you're, you're buried in the stack. And so just like getting a job, connections help. So yeah. if you find somebody who knows somebody, those second and third tier connections where somebody can just get your name to the stop, the top, the top of the stack of proposals, boy, that's a hard sentence to say. Um, <laughs> to uh to just get your name recognized um and and writers tend to look out for other writers there are some who are very self-protective and think this is a zero-sum game if i help you it's going to hurt my chances generally speaking it's much more of a sharing community i've discovered there's a i will recommend your work i i'll you know if you if you write this and post it i'll repost it to kind of help put it out there and that's that tends to be true, especially, especially amongst Christian writers. There's, there's not a cutthroat because there, there's not a limit. Like there's, there's not a limited audience here. It's not like if, if you get a reader, I don't get that reader. We can both get that reader. Yeah. You like both of us. It's perfectly fine. So making those connections is a huge, huge thing. Um, if you're looking to get published book wise, agents help a lot. Um, most big no houses, most big houses won't even accept your proposal right. unless it comes from an agent. Yeah, and I don't know how to tell people how to find an agent, frankly, because I, I, I didn't know what a literary agent was until I worked in publishing. Then I met a few through working in publishing. So when it came to the point where I wanted to work with one, I kind of had a sense of who to reach out to. Yeah, um, which is just that's just the benefits of the job that I had, um, but. But that's the case in almost anything. I mean, if so, I live in Nashville right now. The number of people who move here trying to make it in music and are now working at coffee shops. I assume everybody who makes me an Americano moved here for music. <laughs> I assume everybody who serves me, you know, uh, enchiladas moved here for music. Like, I just, yeah, because that's what people do. They move here to make it. People move to New York to make it big and then they end up like being a bartender or whatever. It, writing is kind of like that unless because the people who make it either luck out, like just they're the one in a million, 
or they have a connection. And so hustling the connections is a big one and not in a slimy way, but in a, in a mutually beneficial way. Yeah. That was something you mentioned to me was, uh, whenever we had coffee earlier this year, it was something about how, you know, you want to, you want to reach out to people and, and ask them for their advice, but not in a sense where you seem like you're just using them. Like it needs to be like a, you know, a genuine thing. And I think most people would know how to hopefully would know how to approach that. Cause yeah, you don't want to just seem like you're using somebody to get to where you're at or where you want to be. Cause I think people can figure that out really quickly. The people who are just trying to use them, especially people who have been around the block. They've probably had a number of people that have reached out to them in the same fashion and they can tell really quickly who's genuine and who's just trying to use them. If you reach out to an established writer and say, I'd like to pick your brain. Uh, they know who you are. Like they know exactly what you're asking. If you reach out and say, Hey, I'm just getting started. I would love to learn. You just postured yourself as somebody who they would like to help probably. Now, I mean, there's, there's not everybody has time that there, those kinds, those kinds of things, but like there's even verbiage you can use that positions you as somebody who's trying to leech off of them or somebody who's trying to genuinely learn and make it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I recognize that when on the occasions that people reach out to me and I don't have any problem giving time if I can to those who are, who are just seeking to learn. Like that's, yeah. that's a, that's an, that's a wonderful posture to be in, especially as a writer, every writer should be in the, how do I get better posture all the time? Yeah. Um, but if it's the leeching posture, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And one thing that I'm curious about too, is, you know, you, and I think we talked about this too, but I'm, I've pretty close to having a proposal done and I just have kind of stalled and sending it out because I am a procrastinator and that's one of my, <laughs> my biggest issues, but, um, Are, you, okay. Let me ask you a question. Are you a procrastinator or is it intimidating? And that's, I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to insult you because it intimidating is a very, especially if it's a first one, like I that's a, that's a scary thing. I think it's, it's more so intimidating. And I, and I did send, so I, I sent it a writing conference this summer. It was a virtual writing conference. They had a couple of agents there. We were allowed to send, it's called a one sheet. So basically you take your proposal, condense yep. it down to one sheet. And I sent it to a few agents or a couple of agents. They both liked my idea. They said that this is the kind of book they would take on, but they said my platform wasn't big enough. And so I think part of it is there's probably a level of intimidation and fear there that I'm, you know, afraid to send it off. Not that, not necessarily afraid to send it off, but like afraid that I would send it off, get a bunch of no's and wonder, could I have done anything more with it? And so I know that I need to just get rid of that thought process, but, um, you know, I, I, I used a, a template that uh, another author recommended to me for my book proposal. And she has a book coming out with Zondervan in early 2021. 20, so I feel like, you know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm using a, a pretty you know trusted way to make it. But um, you, you mentioned to me how you would get platform or you would get uh, proposals that would say you know people would say like oh I I think I'm the next Tim Keller. I think I'm the next Max Lucado. <laughs> and you said basically don't ever do that. So what what are some things that whenever you would pick up a proposal that would immediately be red flags that authors should yeah. definitely avoid? Yeah. So, well, let me, let me give positives for authors first on the proposal. Um, a strong writing sample. The first thing I would do is go straight to, you know, cause usually there's like the, here's who I am. Here's the premise of the book. Here's the platform. Here's comparisons with other books, etc. I would come back to that. I would go straight to the writing sample because a good reader can tell within about a page, a few paragraphs, is this worth turning the page on? Yeah. And if you, if you can get me to turn the page twice, 
we're, we're, we, there's momentum there. That's good. Yeah. Um, so just to write the best sample you can, that's the strongest part. Um, then I would back up to the, okay, how are you positioning this? And when I say positioning, I don't just mean platform. That's a very real part of the decision-making process, but this is the, this is now we're at the red flags part. So if you're, if, if you're writing a Christian book and your comparisons for your book are all of the New York times bestsellers, I do not take you seriously. Yeah. If I've never heard of you, I don't take you seriously because because you don't have a you don't have a concept of where you are and where your book is in the marketplace. Yeah. If you wrote a book on faith and doubt and compare it to The Reason for God by Tim Keller, I'm not I don't take you seriously. If you compare it to Help My Unbelief by Barnabas Piper, now I'm like, "Oh, like you go down a handful of tiers to figure out where your book is." Yeah. You make intelligent comparisons. Like if you can say um, so you find, you find the books, or if you just say, there's not another book on the marketplace like this, you, you better have some data to prove that yeah, because you didn't do that, much research. <laughs> yeah. That, that mostly just sounds like you think you're, you're special. And again, you're listening to your mom too much. <laughs> um, so, but if you can, if you can compare your book intelligently to books of the same tier, so kind of knowing who the authors are, who are respected, but maybe not bestsellers who yeah. are good writers, people you respect, but like, they're not making a living off of writing. They're just, they just, they do a good job at it. Mm -hmm. And you can say, my book is like them in this ways, but here's how it differs. Here's what this book offers that those books don't. Here's how it fills a void in the industry. You know, the other one is, is, do you have an awareness of how many books, not just, not, not an actual number, but like the, how saturated the marketplace is on certain books. If you want to write a marriage book, be real aware that everybody writes a marriage book, including a bunch of people who shouldn't. And so, you know, at this point, most publishers will not pick up a marriage book unless it's from an absolute A-lister. You know, when Matt Chandler writes a marriage book, we pay attention. When Tim Keller writes a marriage book, we pay attention. When, Susie, what's her face from Nowheresville writes a marriage book. Like nobody cares. Yeah. And it just, because, because that's who you're competing against. Yeah. However, if Susie, what's her face from Nowheresville writes a, a memoir about, you know, being in a weird homeschool cult. Now people pay attention because, <laughs> because that like there, there's, there's something there. Yeah. So you have to know your place. And so yeah. the red flags are, what is your awareness because that also speaks to your expectations. Publishers don't want to work with an author who thinks they're going to be the next bestseller. Yeah. They, because, because the publisher will always be the bad guy in that case, because they're constantly giving disappointing news. Even if a book does well, if it doesn't do next level, well, the author is going to be upset. And so if you have realistic expectations, just saying, I think I offer this. I think I'm similar to these authors, but I do these things differently. I think I kind of fall in this category. The other thing is that helps that helps the publisher understand your work. They understand you, they understand your work, they understand how to position it. The platform is still this, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. But the but those are very important aspects. Yeah, I found that, you know, the proposal really it, it takes a lot of research to do one really well because um, if you just kind of, you know, put the surface level information on there, then it's going to look like you didn't 
you didn't put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. And then I, I would assume that an agent or a publisher would say, this is the same level of work you put into your writing because it does take a lot of research to look at. And I would say whenever you asked me earlier, if it was intimidating, I think that has been the, the not the most, I guess it'd be the most intimidating, but it's also been the most time consuming part is doing the research to understand where does my idea fit into the marketplace of ideas? Yeah. What other books are similar to mine? Because yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to compare myself to the A-list type well, of books. Frankly, if you haven't done that work, not you personally, anybody listening hasn't done that work during the writing of or prior to the writing of the book, you probably didn't write as good of a book as you could. Because so for example, when I wrote a book on curiosity, I went and I needed to know, am I just stepping on somebody else's toes? Did I borrow a good idea by accident? Not plagiarize, but just I had the same idea as so and so. And so I found, I found different books on question asking, on curiosity, on yeah. these different things. None of them in the same vein as what I was trying to do, but that allowed me to write the book as well as I could because I'm like, I have my lane. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And it allowed me to put it on a proposal to say, hey, it's, it's, there are these six or seven books that are out there. It's not like these for this reason. It's kind of like these, but it, it touches, those are more about question asking and this is more about exploration and discovery and so forth. All of which helped shape the idea in the first place. If you're doing that work after writing the book, you might've written a book that was a whole like letter grade worse than what you could have done. You could have yeah. done something that was, that, that was more focused, sharper, better aimed. Have you had an idea that you thought would become a good book? Then you did the research and found out there's already a lot of books like this. And did you scrap any ideas that maybe you thought would have become books for you? Um, not not quite that not quite that um, dramatic. It was it's more it's been more it really it's been more having ideas and then being aware of or researching what's out there and going this needs to be this kind of book in order to not just be redundant. Right. So the book on happiness, like there's a ton of books on happiness out there. They're just, they're everywhere. Almost all of them are from a secular perspective. Yeah. Which is great for me because, you know, I get, that just means I get to go back to the Bible repeatedly and, and it offers something both better, just inherently better and, and more you know, just profoundly foundational, but even there, like, where does this fall compared to books on joy, books on satisfaction, books on whatever. And so, yeah, it, it, uh, it bullseyed it for me so that doing those, re doing that research and reading some of those books, um, or at least thumbing through them to get a, get a feel for them really helps focus. This should be this, this shouldn't be this. And in some cases, um, if I was, you know, if I had a, I'm trying to think if there was anything, anything that I've, that I've sort of chewed on and then rejected. I think it's been more like I've read other people's books and been like, man, I would have liked to have written that, but they did it first and they did it better. Yeah. You know, so we're going to let them, <laughs> we're, we're going to share this book out yeah. there and put their work into the world. Cause they killed it on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit on something earlier that I thought was really interesting about you mentioned that we talked about platform building and you said that there are a lot of people that will try to profit off of authors that are looking to gain or to, to build their platform. Yeah. And, and what are, you know, that's, I guess that'd be one example, but what are some other things that you would caution authors to be aware of? Because sometimes you, they might go into this process and be a little naive about the industry. And there are, even in the Christian world, 
I would guess that there's still people that may look to take advantage in some way. So what are some yeah. things that maybe you would caution authors to be aware of? Um, one simple one, I would not work with an agent who asked for money up front. Um, that is a book mill. They, they don't believe in your work. They, the way that agents generally work is that you sign an agreement with them either for a, a specific period of time. It's kind of an exclusive partnership for a specific period of time or for a specific work, whatever you, you've pitched to them. Right. And then when that's done, maybe you re-up with them, you sign a new agreement, there's that kind of thing, but it's all percentage-based. So what, what, what you agree with the publisher on in terms of an advance and royalties, the agent gets a percentage of that. That's their pay. Um, if they're saying in order to work with us, when you, you know, it's a $500 fee, they have no incentive to, to, to take your book seriously. Or they I mean, they have incentive, but like they got money up front. They just, they can take on, that's a numbers game. If they can take on a thousand clients, they just got $500,000 and they didn't do any work. Yeah. So avoid that. Um, I think another thing to avoid is just the, the numbers game will never satisfy. So trying to grow your Twitter following, your Instagram following, moving in the influencer direction. And by that, I don't, I'm not trying to be snide. I mean, like th there's a certain thing where you like, that is an influencer. That's a person who is, especially on like the Instagram influencer trying to yeah. move that direction is, is disingenuous for almost everybody, yeah. but especially for a writer who's then going to try to pitch a heartfelt book, you know, or intellectually, you know, stimulating book. Right. So I think the, I don't know, you can't formulate numbers in an honest way, in a, in a genuine way, what you can do again is forge a readership. So, you know, what, what you could do rather than saying I have, you know, 50,000 Twitter followers just because I did the follow back strategy with everybody and I followed a thousand people and then 600 followed me back. And then I followed another thousand and 300 followed me back or whatever, which a lot of people tried for a long time. And it works for numbers. It doesn't work for buy-in. Yeah. Um, is to find 500 Twitter followers, two of whom are respected writers, and and get them your work, and get blurbs from them. Get us get a review from them that then goes to the agent or the publisher because if they can recognize that name and so and so says, this is really good. Yeah. It, you know, a good respected endorsement is. I don't know what the, I mean, I don't know what the conversion rate is, but it's probably worth a few thousand Twitter followers. Yeah. Um, and it leaves you feeling like you don't need to go like wash off the slime of, <laughs> of platform building. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's just a, a, like a landmine to avoid. I think the other thing is, this is, this is a bit more conceptual and theological, but um who reads your stuff is very much in God's hands. Yeah. Um, I've written four books. None of them have been bestsellers. I have, I have reason to be disappointed. But I hear periodically from people who do read my books and they tell me 
this helped me in this way, this opened my eyes in this way, this connected with me in this way. If I don't find that more valuable than another 5,000 in sales, I think I've gotten it backwards as a writer. Yeah. If I'm writing for numbers, I, I think I'm doing it for the wrong reason. If I'm writing for a 17 year old pastor's kid to tell me that this book helped him make it through high school. Um, I, I have my, I have my eyes pointed in the right direction. And I think, I think at any scale that's true. And so you, you put the readership in God's hands and you are as faithful as you can be with your work. And, and God handles the numbers in the way that he sees fit. And some people get rich and some people never get paid but the work is good. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I think I told you help my unbelief truly is one of my favorite books that I've read, not just this year, but in general. And oftentimes, because that's, that's similar to, to what you talked about, you know, what books are similar to what you're writing. I'd say that book is pretty similar to the topic that I had for my book, but the, the line that you have in there, I don't know if it's word for word, but basically was that we are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God that has stuck with me ever since I read it. And so uh, that book to me may not have been a bestseller, but it truly is one of the most helpful books that I've read because that period of doubt and unbelief was such a dark period for me because I was the first time I really uh, underwent all of those emotions and didn't know how to navigate it. And so me writing has kind of been my process of going through that, but then reading your book, was really illuminating because it was coming from such a theological standpoint that I, a lot of things I hadn't learned before. So that's one testimony right there for your book for you. Well, thank you. And, and like, and, and in all honesty, hearing that from you, the first, you know, you, you, you shared that with me early on and and when we were getting to know each other a little bit, those kinds of things are so much more meaningful than a royalty statement from my publisher. Everybody likes getting paid for their, their work, but writing is message writing is not product right and if we turn it into a commodity and it's just a product we will write garbage books that help nobody if we write it as a message whether we're writing a novel or a poem or an essay or a theological work or what a memoir it it matters it's work that matters and it matters if three people read it or 300 or 300,000. So I think that's the thing that writers need to hold on to tightly as much as anything. Cause that's the thing that gets you to sit down at the keyboard or the notebook or whatever tomorrow and, and churn out the next thing mm-hmm. is this matters. It matters cause I'm pouring as much truth into it in as quality a way as I can. Yeah. I think, yeah, you got, it's just like anything. You've got to love the actual craft of it. And I said the same thing when I, when I interviewed, I I got back into teaching this year and they asked me, you know, uh, just my thoughts on like building relationships with kids. And I said, you can't go into teaching without actually loving it because it's too hard of a job. (laughs) And I feel like, I feel like writing, writing is very similar though. Like, and Mm -hmm. it's true with any craft, I think, but like, you've got to really love it to sit down and actually do the hard work because some days you're going to write words that you're going to want to throw away tomorrow. And you got to just be okay with that. Yeah. One. And that's Yes. All of us, all of us have deleted more words than we've published. I mean, yeah. and, and that's true for like Stephen King, who writes an, a thousand page book every seven minutes. Like he still <laughs> del- he still deletes more words than he's written. It's just, it's the way it is. But that's, I mean, it's kind of analogous to like the Christian life. There's just, there's so many like two steps forward, one and a half steps back kind of aspect to it in terms of progress and growth and sanctification that 
Yeah, writing is, if you take it seriously, it will be really humbling and and profoundly fulfilling as well. Yeah. In a in like a kind of a capsule way, can you describe just what your writing process is? Maybe it changes book to book, but you know, you don't have to go super in depth. But yeah. whenever you start the process, say you've got an idea for a book and you want to start actually writing it. Cause I feel like for some writers that can be an even a really daunting task is like, where do I even begin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is your, what does your writing process look like? Yeah, it's, um, well, let's, yeah, I'll, I'll back off to like the germination of an idea and, and walk it through. And again, not in so much detail that we, that we get bored. Um, I, once you get into writing, you kind of see everything through the eyes of a writer, meaning, is this a good idea to write about? Do I have something to say? Like, you just, and, and you start collecting these ideas. So step one is how are you collecting the ideas? I mean, do you have, um, I think um, in Bird by Bird, Anne Lamott talks about carrying like three by five cards that she just, she'll write down a phrase or something she saw or just, she just collects them and then periodically spreads them out on her desk and discards most of them and keeps a few. Yeah. You can use Evernote, you can use notes on your phone, you can use voice mess, you know, the voice recordings, whatever. But just start collecting ideas at some point for me, an idea is like a burr in the saddle. Like it's the one that I just, my mind keeps coming back to, or I see it repeatedly in some form. So take the book that I just released, Hoping for Happiness. I started to just see thematic things in my life, in conversations with others, in observation of others, that there's this we have a, we have a weird relationship with happiness as Christians. Okay. Well, what is that? And so just started writing down things that I heard, things that I felt in myself, things that I observed in myself. Um, and, and I, I thought maybe there's enough here for, I don't know if this is a couple of blog posts. I don't know if this is an article. I don't know if this is a book. And then, and then started reading, um, started reading Ecclesiastes, which those two things were not related. I kind of tripped into Ecclesiastes, but was started seeing it differently in light of this pursuit of happiness that, that we were all kind of part of, or this suspicion of happiness that some of us have. And Ecclesiastes started to just be this depth of stuff. So, okay, now there's a bunch of notes. And now all of a sudden I look at this and I go, I think there's, I think there's a whole I think I can get 30,000 to 50,000 words out of this is really what it came down to. This is not two blog posts. Yeah. Well, once I decided that, or once I got that sense, then it's a matter of, okay, well, what, what 50,000 words? That's back to what we were talking about earlier. What else is out there? What is this? What direction is this? Because again, it's still just sort of a mishmash of ideas. It's like walking through the grocery store. Like there's ingredients for a lot of things here, but what are we going to make? Um, and and so just started to kind of hone in and you have to have some sense of self-awareness. What can I do? I can't write I can't write the same kind of book that like Donald Miller writes. Yeah. He's a different writer than I am. So, was, you know, so, so are most people. So like, what, what can I do? Um, so you hone in on that, you hone in on what else is out there and it just becomes a pile of notes for me at which point it's organization some yeah. loose sense of organization to trim some of this down to figure out how it fits. That's not a chapter outline at that point, but it is a call it a concept outline, just blocks of ideas that seem to fit together. So for me, those, those ideas were um, 
is happiness even possible in this life? Because a lot of people seem to be chasing it and never finding it. Okay, so there's a big question. Yeah. Um, seems like happiness is tied to expectations because disappointment is just an unmet expectation. Okay, there's an idea. Okay, well, what do we do with our expectations? Are how do we build them? What are they based on? Okay, there's an idea and yeah. that kind of thing. Just blocking it out. Um, at which point I looked at it and thought, okay, I think I have enough here. Started to work it out called, um, called my agent and said, Hey, here's my idea. He said, that's a good idea. Flesh it out. So then, then it gets into the, that then now we're into, I'm going to start writing this thing. And at that point, I don't know if I'm going to write something that will end up being published, or this is just kind of the, my initial hack at it, but I wrote an introduction and a chapter or two based on those ideas, took them to him and he started taking those around. Um, once a publisher, in this case, the Good Book Company, picked it up, then it was working with an editor to really refine those ideas. Then it's a, it's a chapter outline. So chapter one is going to be this, and it's going to cover this specific question or set of ideas, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Um, and, and then once I'm in that phase, I'm no longer collecting information. I'm... I'm um, I mean, as I write, I'll go, I mean, I'm pulling quotes and different things, for examples, and I'm still, you know, deeply trying to, you know, dig into scripture so that that is, I'm, it's feeding into it. But I, once it's in the publishers, once the publisher says, yes, we want this, I have a contract with them to write a certain kind of thing. So I can't veer off anymore. Like this is, right. there's, there's a defined framework. At that point, the writing, that's when the work happens. Prior to that, it kind of feels like exploration. Um, there's some work to be done, you know, on proposals and things, but mostly it's just sort of like, this is the, that's the exciting part. Now we're down to the, this is not, this is no longer exciting. Now we're working. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just chapter by chapter. I tend to, I outline by hand. So I have a notebook with just mad scribbles in it because it's the, it's, framework it's specific phrases i want to get in there and i find outlining by hand to be so valuable because it's much it's more methodical yeah <clears throat> which helps me recognize where the gaps are in my ideas it stops me from being redundant it imprints it on my mind a little bit more um it's easier for me to see this is a hole that needs to be filled in with an example I'm going to handwrite out some specific phrases or sentences that just hooked in my mind. I'm like, I've got to get this in there. This is, this is kind of a key pivot phrase kind of thing. And then I move from there to just the writing and there I'm not a, I'm not a rough drafter in the sense of just throwing down kind of just a, a hammer it out draft and then go back and edit. Yeah. I, I, I work. I, I hate editing. Uh, also it just, I can't move to from paragraph to paragraph until I think the previous one yeah, is pretty close to publishing. Kind of how I feel too, whenever I write. Yeah. And I don't get hung up on it too much because so much of that outlining process on paper cleans up my ideas so that right. once I get to the writing, it's, I'd say it's 70 ish percent there, you know, getting close. So, um, yeah, then it's, then it's writing. And then, then, then it's a matter of what, you, you know, what the relationship with the publisher is. My publisher wanted to go, they wanted me to turn it in chapter by chapter to edit as we go. 
uh, which I really didn't like at first, but I did find a lot of benefit in because it meant that every time I moved on to a next chapter, I had a much better sense. So by halfway through the book, I had a good sense of their expectations. Yeah. A really good sense of what was already in play. And, and that, that gives clear direction. Whereas if you write the whole thing and turn it in and they come back with just massive edits, it kind of feels like you failed. Yeah. It feels like, you know, you got a D minus on that. Yeah. <laughs> instead of, instead of working with the teacher as you go. And it helps that I had a great editor who did not do anything to diminish my voice and was believed fully in the book and was all, so all of her input was very much about keeping the message and the voice sharp. Yeah. And she, yeah, she really helped it um, improve. That's, that's kind of the arc of my writing process. You know, then there's the editing process, whatever. I don't love that, but <laughs> I, I, I have found that working well with editors tends to help my writing being cantankerous towards editors, you know, save your bullets. There are a few places where you're going to want to put your foot down and say, I'm not changing that. Yeah. But if like nine out of 10, you're willing to say, or 19 out of 20, you're willing to say, cool, I'll follow your suggestion. I'll make some changes. And then that one time you go, I'm not taking that out. Yeah. Cause then it probably, you get a reputation of not being easy to work with too. It's just something that you want to avoid as an author. You don't want to be labeled as hard to work with. Cause then publishers might be a little bit more reluctant to take a stab at your work. I would assume maybe not, maybe that's not the well, case, but. If nothing else, it's just, I mean, it's just not very kind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the, the editor is doing his or her best. I mean, yeah. I hope some, there are times you can have a, I, I have worked with one or two editors who I thought were bad at their jobs and didn't care about my book. <laughs> and so I was less inclined to, to, to work with them in a, in a partnership way. But when there's an invested editor who makes an effort to really get it, to get what you're trying to do and to take what you're trying to do and bring it from a, it's good to it's really good. Like you feel great about it. Yeah. Those editors are easy to trust. Um, yeah. And those editors also are more understanding when you go back and say, I can't change this because of this reason. Like this is, this is an example I have to have in there. So for example, this is a very minor example, but it's the one that sticks in my head. Cause it was, there was also a bit of a cultural breakdown. Um, my publisher is British and the editor is, is an English lady. And so I had a line in there about something about it'll be sadder than a Jason Isbell song, <laughs> which is admittedly kind of a niche comment. Right. For those who don't know, he's kind of a Southern rocker, singer, songwriter, Americana artist who writes the best heartbreak songs. Yeah. Um, but apparently a 30 something editor from England doesn't know that. Uh, he, his Jason Isbell's audience doesn't extend to the London area, apparently. So, uh, she just said, I think we need to change this. I don't know who he is. And I was, that was one where I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me that you don't know. This is one that like the reference works if you don't know, cause you can at least say it's sadder than a song written by a guy who writes sad songs. Right. Or you can look him up or if you know then it hits the nail right on the head. So yeah. I was like, nope, that one's staying in there. Yeah. And and she didn't, she was like, okay, you know, because I just, most of the time I was willing to flex. So that, that, there are those examples where you're like, no, I really like this line and I'm not taking it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember uh, you posted on 
Facebook earlier this year and on Twitter, I think, but you had a paragraph that you, that you cut out of your writing and you were like, you were like, I was so proud of this, but I knew I had to edit it. And now it's just sent off into the ethos where I don't even know where it exists anymore. And you were kind of describing your editing process. I thought that was really funny because that's true. It's like I had a, a professor in college whenever I was in a multimedia class and we had to do a lot of audio production stuff. And she said, like, I've never missed a piece of audio that I had to cut. And I found that to be true, where it was like we had to pare yeah. down like a bunch of audio into like a, a, a one and a half minute segment. And I feel like it's probably got to be the same thing with your editing, where yes. it's like you're super shrewd about what needs to be in there or what doesn't need to be in there. Well, and that's and that's where good. I'm I'm not great at that for myself because this some of the stuff that my editor asked me to cut was stuff that I was really proud of because it was I would say it, at the risk of sounding arrogant, it was really well written. It just didn't further. Like it didn't get the reader to turn the page in a timely fashion. Yeah. It, it just created more words on the page. And so there was a little bit of sort of that because writers, especially writers who really like you get on a roll. Sometimes you write a needless paragraph because you just think the groove is so good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a little bit like when the guitar soloist just kind of goes off for like 30 seconds too long Yeah, because he's just like, he's in a groove. And it kind of derails like, okay, the, the concert experience, you're like, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, it, there's a touch of that. So she just cut some of that out. And I was like, but it was a great paragraph. But it was a great paragraph that didn't further the work. Yeah. So a good editor recognizes that. They're not cutting stuff just to cut. They're cutting because if we move from here to here and we take this paragraph out, the reader gets into the next important piece in in the timely, like it's, it serves the reader well. That's really what a good editor is trying to help you do. Well, is there anything I didn't ask about that maybe you feel like is another pertinent thing that writers should know? Or I feel like we covered a lot, but is there anything that yeah. maybe uh, you feel like is especially important to know that I didn't ask about? Um, man. Well, one thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one specific uh, option of this, but it's not the only one out there. Things like writers' cohorts can be really beneficial to those who kind of wherever you are. I mean, if if you've published five books. And whatever, maybe it's not quite as, as helpful. But if you're if you're on the I'm not yet published, or I you know I write for a couple different websites, but I really want to up my my writing quality and maybe my my writing opportunities. A writing cohort kind of thing. You mentioned a writers conference. They, there's some similarities there, but there's uh, the one that I was going to mention. There's a group called Gospel Centered Discipleship. Uh, I think it's just gcdiscipleship.com. Yeah, that's right. Um, they do one. And so usually it's, it covers several months, these kind of things. And it's, you're with, you're in there with, I don't know, seven to 12 other writers. So, and, and there's, you're turning in projects, you're hearing from other, you know, other published authors and writers to kind of help guide you through specific pieces, but it's a really disciplined and communal way to improve as a writer mm -hmm. um, and to make some connections. Cause again, if, if somebody else in there writes for a website that you don't, there you go. Maybe yeah. that maybe there's your next opportunity, and um, and those kinds of things can be really valuable if you have the time and and uh, they usually have a cost attached to them and the money to put into it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I would just say that finding those, it's a little bit like interning. You know, when you intern in college, that might be your first job. You kind of build those professional connections. You build a little bit of a relationships, reputation. Writing cohorts can be like that as well. So that kind of thing. Writers conference. Um, just make sure it's a, it's a, um, 
it's a reliable one. You mentioned you mentioned a group before we jumped on here that's headed by by a lady who we we both have a lot of respect for. So just make sure the people who run it are legit. Yeah. And and that you know you're gonna get something out of it. But I, I that's that's probably the last thing I would say. That's great. So I always ask one final question and I'll kind of put a spin on it here. So typically I ask, you know, what do you kind of do to slow down whenever your life is busy? But I guess we'll look at it from a writing perspective. Whenever you're uh, in the process of writing a book and you kind of need to take a mental break or just writing in general, what do you kind of, what do you do to kind of uh, recenter your thoughts and just sort of, uh, you know, recalibrate, I guess? Yeah. Um, I think that that depends. It depends on a handful of factors. Um, I tend to find that my version of writer's block comes from mental fatigue. It's not that, that might be, there might be a different type of writer's block for like creative writers, fiction writers, that kind of thing where they're like, I don't know where the story goes from here. For me, it's almost always just, I I've run out of thought. Yeah. And so it, it can be as simple as go for a run, go for a hike, uh, take a nap, but but usually I need more than like a couple hours. So it's, it's really, it can be unplugging for a weekend, just sort of like shutting it down on a Saturday morning when I'm just hit a wall and just saying, I'm not looking at this yeah. until the next time I have scheduled to write on Monday evening or something. And, and that's okay. Like I, I don't believe that you need to write every day to be a good writer. Yeah. I believe that you need to do something to enhance your writing every day. And sometimes that's watching football <laughs> just because, because you just, or, or watching a movie or, or playing with your kids or whatever, like something to let your brain just breathe. Yeah. Cause writing is taxing. And, yeah. and so just giving yourself a chance to, to do that and recognizing that like, you're going to get back into this, the, you, I think sometimes we feel like taking a break from writing is like summer vacation when you were a kid and you go back to school and don't remember how to do math. Writing's not like that. Yeah. You're going to get back there and you're going to read the last page you wrote and you might think, Ooh, that's terrible. But you're going to remember where you were. You're going to kind of warm up for a second and then you're going to be able to get back into it. So just the ability to, to give yourself permission to go, I'm not touching this for three days yeah. because I, I need three days Yeah, and that's okay. Unless you're on a deadline. <laughs> well, Barnabas, thank you so much for this insight. I know, you know, I definitely have, you know, I'm, I'm going to value this information personally. And I hope the, the people that are listening that are writers or aspiring authors will as well. Uh, if people want to connect with you, what's kind of the best way for them to, I know you're on Twitter and Facebook mm -hmm. and all that, but what, what do you, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Barnabas Piper. I'm probably the most interactive on Twitter of most platforms. It's, you know, it's a great place to kind of have conversations and, and inter intersect with people there. I'm on Instagram. Um, and then BarnabasPiper.com is my website. You can find the podcast that I'm on. And it's kind of a just a, a clearinghouse for stuff that I've written recently. So um, yeah, that would be that would be the those would be the best places. And they could order your book on your website too, I assume. Yep. If you go to barnumspiper.com, there's a books tab. So you can see, you can see all the books there, but the most recent one's right at the top. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I know this is one of those niche kind of episodes where if you're not writing a book, if you're not a writer, maybe you weren't as into this. So if you stuck around this far, I'm going to go ahead and guess that you're either a writer are working on a book or you're just super supportive of me and this podcast either way thank you for sticking around and if you are a writer especially i really hope that you take some of the advice that barnabas left 
to heart because he's just got so much knowledge and experience in this field. Writing can be one of those things that you feel really alone and you don't really know where to go a lot of times. It kind of feel like you're searching for something in a dark room without a flashlight. I know that's how I felt before in my own writing journey. And so if nothing else, I hope that this provided a little bit of light and provided you a little bit of guidance for where you're going or at least where you want to go. If you are a writer and you're listening to this and you're looking for some community, a community of writers, reach out to me. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to be able to kind of be an accountability partner for you and your writing and just hear what your project is and share with you what I'm working on and just kind of use each other to help get where we want to go. And like he was saying, you know, joining a cohort of writers, joining some groups of writers that help support you and encourage you and keep you accountable. That can be super important and super valuable. So I'd love to connect with you. If you've got others in your area that are writers, connect with them as well and just build off of each other. I think that's the best way to do it. So thank you guys so much for listening to this. I really appreciate it. And if you guys need to connect with me, I'm Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram. I'm Cole Douglas Claiborne on Facebook, so you can find me there as well. Or just visit me at my website. That's ColeClayborne.com. You can find articles I've written. You can find my podcast episodes and sign up for my newsletter there if you want to as well. Pretty much anything that I do content-wise is going to be right there on ColeClayborne.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you back next week.